In preparation for the message, Josh has asked that we read John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I love that one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples is that in me, your joy may be full. If you could have overflowing joy, would you ever be discouraged? If you, if you could describe yourself at any moment in time as being full of joy, like joy that is that you're full of what would you not be able to face i I think it's practical i think it's real i think it's uh and and yet this is what jesus is saying if you will abide in me if you will be with me if you will remain with me your joy will be full over the last few weeks, last couple of months, we've been going through a sermon series that uh, has generally been titled Living Life on Purpose. And we've been letting God's word remind us of, of what he wants to do in our lives if we belong to him. He's in the process of changing us to look like Jesus Christ. Pastor Matt has been talking and sharing with us and, and saying that that, that transformation that, that God wants to do in our lives can't be done outside of relationship, that, it, that, that it's a relationship with God and it's a relationship with one another. And so way back in January, he said, you've got to have margin. You've got you to start building margin into your life. Maybe that means cutting stuff out, but why? So that you can have relationship. Why? So that you can be achieving I don't know if that's the right word, but so that you can be working out God's purpose for your life. And that this life of purpose that, that, that Jesus has given us, very specific invitations, Jesus gave his disciples and, and, and thereby to us these invitations where he says, come to me. And he says, follow me. And he says, come be with me. And then he says, go and I will be with you. And that he's called us to a life of compassion. 
to open our eyes to the world around us, to see all of humanity around us, the, the, the men, the women, the boys, the girls, who have never, ever heard of the story that they're a part of, the story of God's love, the story of how in God's love, he sent his son to die for us so that we could find that life and a joy that is filled to overflowing, that he's called us to a life of greatness. And that greatness isn't found in what we accomplish, but greatness is found in service. To wash each other's feet. To a life of generosity. If you haven't figured out, these are all sermons over the last couple months. To a life of generosity where we are giving back to those around us the good things that God has given us. And that he's called us to a life of faith. Last week, Pastor shared that when you know what God wants you to do, you need to act. When we know what God wants us to do, we need to act. And just like Peter and the other apostles were in a boat in the middle of a storm, Peter calls out to Jesus and says, If you want me to come to you, call to me. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter climbs out of the boat in the middle of the storm and walks on water. Just like Peter, God will always bring you to a place that you cannot be in and survive without him. God wants a deeper, more abiding relationship with you in order to fulfill his purpose in your life. And he wants you to experience a relationship with him that goes beyond just church on Sundays. He wants you to experience a relationship with him that goes beyond just the times of crisis when you need a higher power in your life. And prayer. He wants you to know joy that is filled to overflowing. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for the day. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. As we, as we gather here today, Lord, I pray that you will be here today. Lord, I cannot deliver your message in my own strength and in my own power. But you have said that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so I trust in and I believe that promise. And because of that promise, Lord, I pray that you will help me to share today what you have been teaching me. And I pray, Father, that the outcome is that each of us will have a deeper, more abiding relationship with you and we will be experienced in tasting joy, tasting your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you and your relationship with God, if you're not like Peter in a boat, and you know that God is calling you to climb out of the boat. 
Or maybe you, like Peter, are already out of the boat. And the wind is blowing. And the waves are crashing. You remember Peter when he was out of the boat and on the water, Jesus was center. And the wind and the waves were peripheral. But as soon as the wind and the waves became center and Jesus became peripheral, he began to sink. Where are you? Are you in the boat? And God's saying, get out? Or are you on the water? Or are you in the water? And it's okay to be either of those. But how do we get to the next thing? Today I want to pick up, in case you haven't figured it out yet, I want to pick up a little bit where Pastor Matt left off. And I was talking with my wife yesterday and I said, you remember what last week's sermon title was? Last week's sermon title was Walking on Water in the Life of Faith. And I said, you know what this week's sermon title is? It's going to be How to Walk on Water and Live the Life of Faith. And she laughed at me. And she's like, that tells us so much about your personality. Pastor Matt is like, you can do it. And then you're like, but how? <laughs> and, uh, and it's true. I, I, I really, I, uh, we joke because I tend to be the dream, cu- dream crusher in our family. Um, once we were driving a couple years ago, going up into the mountains, and my wife said, one day I want a house up here. And I was like, that'll never happen. <laughs> and that created a little tension, <laughs> a little conflict there. Um, but, uh, but it's just a little bit more of the way that I'm wired of, I want to know how. Um, I believe things are true. I believe that we could have a house one day, but not in, our, not in our current reality. I mean, that's future. But it's a dream to strive for, right, Sarah? We're going get to that, get that target, right? Aim for it, pray for it, make a plan, work the plan, right? Well, we read, we read in John 15, where Jesus gave such an amazing picture of a grapevine. And when we abide in him, when we abide in Jesus, the same way that a branch is connected to the life of the vine, we will bear fruit. And the first thing that we've got to remember is that a life of faith cannot be disconnected from a life connected to Christ. You know, a, a, a branch that is connected to the vine has life and can bear fruit. But a branch that is disconnected from the vine, you know what we call that? Call it a stick. And as Christians, we need to be connected to Jesus because he is our life. If we go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, God was their life. And God said, God said, Eat of any fruit of any tree in this garden except for one. And this is the one rule. If you eat from that one tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will die. Well, they ate the fruit. And that day they did not drop over dead. But that day they were disconnected from their life. 
and they spiritually died. If you think about death as separation, we are all born dead, separated from life from God. And at physical death, when our bodies are put in the ground, our soul is separated from our body. And there will one day be a day when every soul and every body is reunited in standing before Jesus Christ, the judge, and Jesus will judge us whether we knew him or not. And at that point in, in the future, at the time of judgment, we will all either be declared one of God's children, because that's what we were here on earth, having a relationship with God, connected to Jesus Christ, or we will be separated from him for all eternity. The Bible calls that the final death. We're born separated from God. We will physically die where our soul is separated from our body unless Jesus returns before then. And then one day in eternity, well, one day at a point in time in the future, we will stand before God and he will determine Well, he will decide whether we knew him or not and will declare to us whether we knew him or not. It's a really good principle to think about your relationship with God in this life, rather your attitude towards God in this life, will be reflected in his attitude toward you in the next life. So if in this life, he is your life, he will be your life in the next one. If in this life you reject him, then he will reject you in the next one. And that's a tough thing to hear. But it's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, no man, no human comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our life. And if we remain connected to him, the vine, as a branch connected to the vine, we will bear fruit. Fruit like, as Galatians 5 says, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that over the last month and a half, two months, Pastor Matt has been preaching to us about. This is what God wants to develop in us. He wants us to become where we are, we are bearing fruit like this. When we have these characteristics in our lives, we look like Jesus Christ. And his purpose for us is to look like and to be shaped like Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 25, down there at the bottom, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So, Abide in Christ, remain in Christ, and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And the result is that I will bear fruit. I'll be coming who God wants me to be, and I'll be experiencing a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And that's not all. That's not all. Check out this verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. This is the foundation for this entire message, by the way. How do we walk on water? How do we live a life, by faith, life of faith? This verse right here. 
2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22, no matter how many promises God has made, so God's made a lot of promises in the Bible, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, by the way, amen just means let it be so. Amen means I agree that this is true. Through him, speaking of Jesus, the amen is spoken by us, Christians, to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you, the teachers, and the rest of the church. That's the way Paul, who wrote this verse, was talking about. It is God who makes both both us and you, everybody in Christ, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. And this is how, that's how, when he anoints us and sets his seal of ownership on us, that's how in the time of judgment in the future, Jesus will say, do I know you or not? Well, if, you're, if his seal of ownership is on you, then it's really easy. You belong to Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit becomes the guarantee so that you don't have to worry about the future. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. If you're abiding in Christ, you belong to him. You've been anointed. The Holy Spirit becomes a down payment, a guarantee for what Jesus will do in the future. And you don't have to worry about it. Because you are attached to the vine. But you got to remember, remain in the vine. (laughs) Remain. Walk in the Spirit. Abide in Christ. You can't detach yourself. But you still need to have that attitude. This verse is saying that in Christ, every promise that God has made is yes. So not only is it a life of faith, not only is a life of faith connected to life in Christ, It's also connected to, and this is very important, it's connected to the promises that God has made in his word. So this is how my mind works. My mind works this way. It says, this is great news. I believe it. I want it. But how do I abide in Christ? How do I remain in Christ? How do I keep in step with the Holy Spirit? How can I be living this life of compassion and generosity and margin and greatness and faith? And how can it be worked out in my life? So, That's how I think. Let's turn it around. How can you grow in your relationship with God so that what he's doing in your life becomes an experienced reality? An experienced reality. The answer that God gives is is really simple. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, I hope you get this. The question is, how can I work on or how can I work out, how can I exercise faith How can I actually live by believing God's promises? The answer is through God's word and through prayer. And if you grew up in the church, if you've been a Christian for very long, if you've been going to church your whole life, you have heard that your whole life. Right? Got to read your Bible, got to pray. You want to become a Christian? Great. Read your Bible. Pray. But you guys remember, you remember the disciples? 
They were following Jesus around for years. They were seeing his miracles. They were hearing his teaching. This is connecting back to last week's message, remember? Okay? So, but, but still, they saw, they had just witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and just a few fishes. And then Jesus is like, I want you to go over across the, across the Sea of Galilee, and I'm going to go take a walk. And Jesus goes for a walk, and the disciples go out in the boat, and a storm picks up, and a trip that should have only taken a little bit of time ends up taking them hours, and they could not get to shore. And they were in the middle of the storm. And Jesus comes out on the water, walks out on the water, and Peter gets out of the boat, and all that other stuff, and then Jesus gets in the boat, and immediately they're at the shore, and the wind and the waves have died down, and the sea is completely calm. Why did Jesus have them do that? Because even though they had seen all of his miracles, and even though they had heard all of his teaching, he wanted them to get to a deeper relationship with him. He wanted them to get to the next level. He wanted them to experience his power. More than just knowing his power. Brothers and sisters, we want to get to where we're not just going to church and hearing read your Bible and pray. You want to experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Power. Transformation. Walking on water. By the way, I I think there's only one person who's walked on water besides Jesus, and that's Peter. So I'm not saying let's all go out here and and try it out. I'm, I'm using that as an example, as a metaphor of what God wants to do in your life, of what God wants to do in my life. And we go to how. So read your Bible and pray, and there's one more piece to the puzzle, and it was also in, in the verse that we read. Verse 22, well, uh, in that passage, in Christ, God has anointed us, he's sealed us as his own, and he's guaranteed our future by the Holy Spirit. So it's God's word, it's prayer, and it's the power of the indwelling spirit in you. In 2012, Every time, <laughs> it seems like I'm always telling you a little bit more of my story. In 2012, I was in full-time youth ministry down in Arizona. A lot of you already knew that. In 2012, I was down there, and um, 2011 had just been an amazing year. Um, God had done things in the youth group that I had never, ever believed I would see. There's a thing where, where 10th and 11th graders are preaching at each other on Facebook publicly, and where... Uh, they were excited about sharing their faith. And it was, it, it, the youth group went from like a, a group of just 20 to like double in size in just a couple of months. And it was all around this idea of we love Jesus. And since we love Jesus, that becomes attracted to the people around them. And, and, so, and so the group grows and it was just an amazing thing. It was awesome. Kids were getting right with God. It was, it, it was fantastic. And then 2012 hits and it's not the same. <laughs> it's just that that kind of momentum wasn't happening. I think that was part of it. Um, there were some life changes going on. We had our third child in early in 2012, and we get into the summer of that year, and it's Arizona, so summers are like, you know, really, really hot, in case you don't know that. And, um, and I am discouraged. I am, I think I was... I, I, I probably would have been diagnosed as clinically depressed. 
I was discouraged. Sarah knew it. I knew it. But, I, and, but in evaluating my life, I wanted to get past this. I wanted to just, let's, let's, get, let's get back on. I, 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 I don't think I, there was anything physically wrong, but emotionally and spiritually, I was low. It was like every time I'd try to spin up, I kept spinning down. And I would evaluate and I would pray. And I was like, God, help me. And I'm praying and, and, I'm, and I'm examining my heart and I can't think of any sin in my life. I can't think of any barrier between me and God. So I don't know what's going on. I visit the doctor and I say, Doc, I know you're doing the physical checkup, but could there possibly be anything else? Because I feel really kind of depressed. And he's like, yeah, any life changes going on? He's like, any, any, did you guys move anything going on? I said, well, my, <laughs> we just, just had a baby <laughs> recently. And he kind of laughed at me and he's like, well, there you go. <laughs> You're not getting as much sleep and that stuff's going on. But, but still, I, I couldn't figure it out. I was, I, Sarah knew it. And Sarah's like, you got to get this thing fixed, man. And um, she was more gentle than that. Um, I promise you. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so this was going on for months. And I went on a run one Saturday. I think it was a Saturday. And I was listening to a sermon by a guy named John Piper. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a, he, at the time, he was a pastor in Minnesota. And, um, and I was about 10 to 15 minutes into this run, 10 to 15 minutes into the sermon, and I'm thinking, there is, this just isn't doing anything for me. Maybe I'll just switch to music, and I'll run listening to music. And um, uh, then a thought went through my head that I really believe was from God. It was a reminder from something I'd heard in another sermon that said, you know, push through Scripture. You may be reading scripture and you may be studying and you're looking for something and you're not finding it, but stick with it. Just keep pushing, keep pushing through it. And so that thought went through my head. So I was like, all right, I'll just keep listening. And not five minutes later, the, the preacher shared something that I'm going to share with you. And it was a really simple tool, a real simple practical way to work out what it means to walk in the spirit. And it was such an infusion just that day. It was such an infusion of encouragement to me that it became for me something that for the last six years is a practical real life tool that I use on a regular basis that In that moment, it didn't fix my discouragement. Do you, you hear what I'm saying? If, if in that moment I was sinking in the wind, in the waves, with the wind blowing around, this tool that I'm going to share with you didn't get me walking on the water. But it did get Jesus as center for me with the wind and the waves peripheral. Does that make sense? So, what am I sharing? It's called APTAT. APTAT. It's an acronym. And I should say at this point, so much of this message is borrowed from that message that I heard. Okay? Uh, But with a little bit of my personality thrown in. APTAT. 
It's an acronym that I use for practicing walking in the Spirit. And that pastor back in Minnesota, he and his, his leadership, they said, how can we teach our people how to practically, how can we teach our people to actually walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? So here it is. APTAT. A stands for admit. P stands for pray. T stands for trust. A stands for act. And T stands for thank. If you're a Christian, you want to be walking in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you if you're a Christian. So by the Holy Spirit, so you got the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, we trust God's promises in his word. His promises bring joy and confidence when we believe him. And joy in Christ's promises defeat temptation all while we are praying. God's word, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. Letter A, admit. I admit that I, in myself, can't do what needs to be done. The very first thing you do, I admit that I, in myself, can't do what needs to be done. In John fifteen five, the scripture that Megan read, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Scripture also says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Not I will act, he will act. So let's address, let's, let's, let's make this practical. Let's address the temptation to fear. Let's say you're tempted to fear. God's called you to do something. You know what he wants you to do is right, but you're afraid. What do you do? The very first thing that you do is you admit honestly and humbly, I'm afraid and I can't do this by myself. And then you pray. Oh God, please give me courage. Please don't let me be ruled by fear. Take the fear away. And when we're talking about prayer, it's good to remember that Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Search and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus was teaching his disciples at this time that God expects his children to pray. He expects us to pray. He expects us to make requests of him. So, you're fearful. You admit that you're afraid. You admit that you can't do what God has called you to do by yourself. And you pray. Father, I'm afraid. I don't know what I need to do. Well, I know what you want me to do, but I'm afraid of it. So will you help me? And having prayed, you trust. You trust a specific promise that God has given in his word. This is faith. This is taking God at his word. Remember 2 Corinthians one twenty. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. God's word and his promises, they are yes for us. They are ours. They are ours in the affirmative. 
They are not ours in the intangible. They are ours in the tangible, the practical, the real. They are yes. But what happens so often is that even if you've been a Christian your whole life, let's say you've memorized a thousand verses, you know a thousand promises, and when you're in the water and the wind and the waves are all around you and crashing, you can't remember a single promise. Why? I don't know why. It's just the way it is. It's because I'm discouraged. It's because the waves are right in front of me and Jesus is way over here. He might be right here, but I don't see him. So we have to go to his word. And this is why it's so important to have regular time of listening to God through his word. So important to have regular time listening to God in his word. It might be uh, just a few verses or a chapter from your Bible while you're drinking coffee in the morning. Or it might be pulling out the Bible app and, and checking out the verse of the day. That's what we do with our kids on the way to school. First thing we do when we pile in the car, you can ask any of my kids, what's the first thing we do when we get in the car on the way to school? It's a verse of the day. One of the, each of the kids takes a turn reading a verse of the day. And then one of them prays, right? Could just be the verse of the day. Or it could be relationships. You're looking for a promise, a promise from God's word. And you can't think of one? Ask a friend. Can you help me find a promise from scripture? Because I'm struggling. Or it could be tools. I use an app. I use an app called Fighter Verses. And, um, and what's really cool about that app is that it's got a schedule for memorizing scripture, but it's also got like all of these verses that are tagged by topic. And so I can go straight to topics. It's like maybe I'm battling fear. Or maybe I'm battling anger. Or maybe I just want a, a promise about uh, uh, about trusting the Lord. And I can go to verses that are tagged by that topic and I can find one. So like, for instance, on the power of God's word, found this one in fighter verses. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That verse has both prayer and God's word combined at the same time and says, hey, you know what? It's a practical tool. Or on the temptation of fear, since we're talking about fear. Trust a specific blood-bought promise, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, in Aptat, you trust this promise. Say to God, I take this promise for myself. I trust you. You, Lord, are now my help. A, admit that I and myself can't do what needs to be done. P, pray for God's help. T, trust a specific tailor-made promise bought for and now belonging to me because of Jesus Christ's blood. Now, letter A, I act. I act to do whatever God is calling me to do. This is where faith gets its legs. It's one thing to believe that God can do something. It's another thing to act on that belief. Faith isn't only taking God out of his word. It's believing it enough to do something because God said it. Remember that Peter's in the boat? And he says, Jesus, if that's really you, call me out. And Jesus says, come. Would Peter's faith have been proven if he would have stayed in the boat? He may have sat there and said, I know it's Jesus. He told me to come. 
but he wouldn't have acted and that faith wouldn't have been proven. By the way, how was Peter able to walk on the water? Did Peter make that happen? Peter just acted in faith. Jesus made him walk on water. When Peter got out of the boat, he acted. So you're tempted to fear. You've embraced this promise from Isaiah 41.10 that God will be with you, that he will strengthen you, that he will help you. Now what? You act. You act on the basis of that promise that God has given you in Isaiah 41.10. You act believing that God, the Holy Spirit, is acting in you by his word through your faith. And what does that look like? Well, for Peter, it meant getting out of the boat. For you, it might mean going to your neighbor and inviting them to come to the Easter service or whatever act of obedience that God has called you to, even though you are fearful. And after you have acted in faith, this is the last one, after you've acted in faith, you bow your head and you say, thank you. Thank you. So let's try a couple more examples. How about the temptation of bitterness for being wronged? Someone's hurt you very badly. You know it was wrong. Everyone knows it was wrong. You know that bitterness is wrong. You know that forgiveness is the right thing to do, but you can't seem to overcome the anger. What do you do? A, you admit, I can't shake it. I need help. I'm being enslaved by this bitterness. It's destroying me and no one else. Then you pray, Father, I really need your help. I can't stop feeling rage at this person. Help me. Please take it away. Then you call to mind a specific tailor-made, blood-bought promise like Romans 12, 19 that says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And you trust that promise. God will repay. Vengeance belongs to him, and he will see that perfect justice is done for every sin against me, as well as every sin in this universe. God will deal with it. I don't need to carry this anymore. I can hand it over to him who judges justly. And I know that now I can trust you. Father, settle this matter perfectly. I trust you. And then you act on that promise. You get rid of the reminders that you've been using. You don't go to the places where you brood. You delete the emails that you've been stewing over. You stop rehearsing how you would get them back. And when they come up in your head, you say no. And you turn You turn away from them. You turn to the word of Christ. You turn to the cross. You turn to the promises, to his judgment. And then you look to God, your merciful father, and you thank him for being a perfectly holy and righteous judge who lifts the deadly burden of vengeance from our back. And you do that again and again and again. Just doing it once isn't the key. It's walking in the spirit. How about this one? You're wrestling with believing that eternal life is found in Jesus alone. You've come to understand that your sin and your inability to live up to God's standard causes a barrier between you and life found in God. And you've heard that Jesus is the perfect God-man. As John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Speaking of Jesus, and that God became a man to live the perfect life that you can't live. And you have heard that because he has lived a perfect life, that his death on the cross wasn't deserved, but was a substitute. A death to take the punishment for the sins of every human in the world. 
And you've also heard that Jesus not only died, but that he rose from the dead and he came back to life on the third day. You believe all of that, but you've struggled with the idea that only believing that Jesus' death and life and resurrection is enough to bring you forgiveness. You, you, you think that in order to be right with God, you have to do something. You, doesn't your life need to change in order for God to forgive you? So you admit, A, admit, even though I believe that Jesus died and rose again, I keep thinking that forgiveness depends on me, on my effort, on my goodness, on myself, rather than trusting in God. And then you pray. God, everything I've heard about you rings true. And I believe that Jesus did die and rise again. But I keep thinking that what Jesus did isn't enough to forgive me. I keep thinking that I need to contribute somehow. I need your help to believe your words are greater than my works. Help me. And then you call to mind a specific tailor-made blood-bought promise like Titus 3, 4 through 6. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Or Philippians 3, 9 that says, I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So you act then. Based on that promise, you choose to take God at his word. You choose to believe in Jesus alone. You reject the idea that you need to earn God's favor. And instead, you replace the thoughts of self-dependence with reliance on Christ. You pray, God, I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is all that you require in order to forgive me. I believe your word. And I trust in Jesus alone. Thank you for forgiving me. And you thank him. Church, this acronym, APTAT, isn't only a tactic for the hard times. It's a tool that can be used multiple times throughout the day. It's a great way to start the day. Lord, it's a new day. I don't know what's in store, but you do. I can't and I don't want to live this day in my own strength and in my own power. So I am praying to you and asking you for your help. I am trusting in the promise in Psalms that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. And so I'm acting. I'm getting out of bed. And I'm going to acknowledge you throughout the day. Trusting in your presence, in my life. And then at the end of the day, Father, thank you so much for your presence and help today. You are so good to me. I don't think it would be wrong to say that this tool has had a really big influence in my life. And I hope that it's helpful to you too. Let's admit, we can't do it in our own strength and our own power. We need God's help. Let's be praying. Let's be trusting in God's word. And let's act in faith, but not forgetting 
to thank God and showing gratitude to him for how he's helped us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day and for your love and for your help. Thank you for this message. Thank you for how you've used it in my life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.